to the channel. I'm Sam. I'm Hunter. And we are the sons. We are the sons of Liberty Podcast. We are the sons of Liberty Podcast today. Um, actually, Karl Marx was not who you think he was. Karl Marx was actually a very good man. He loved his community and he did everything he could to improve the lives of as many people as possible. And for us as gay conservative men, we need to acknowledge the work that Karl Marx did. <laughs> and make it paving a way for gay Christians. Gay Southern Christians who just want to live their lives in peace and harmony, not want the Republicans infringing on their bedroom and their practices. <laughs> my bedroom, my prerogative. Amen. <laughs> Thank you, Karl Marx from the grave, for that. Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome back to the podcast. My name is Sam Mealy. I'm Hunter Young. And we are the, the Sons, Sons of, of Liberty. Liberty. Today we're going to be talking about Karl Marx and how his philosophy screwed us all up and made our lives so much more difficult and killed so many people in the 20th century for no reason. Exactly. But before we get to that, I just want to remind everybody to please like, subscribe to the podcast to get more content every uh, Monday and Thursday at noon. New podcasts every Monday and Thursday and we'll post uh, shorts. We're trying to post shorts every day, get some clips out there. Share these with your friends. And believe it or not, only 36% of you guys are actually subscribed to the podcast. So make sure to hit that subscription button. And you might you might notice right now, Hunter and I are twinning. Twinning. We're twinning, baby. We're twinning. That is because we just took a photo shoot. Honestly, at the, by the time this comes out, we probably will have updated some of our the look of the, uh, the channel. Because, uh, I mean, man, we just... I mean, we just... Woo! Woo! Today. Woo! I know you guys Look don't amazing. watch because we're handsome or anything. No, of course no, not. Of course. You only watch for our smarts. You guys are you're really kind that you look past our obviously dashing outward appearances. We're going to get into the podcast now. Karl Marx. We are naming this uh, podcast Marxism, Utopianism, and the Kingdom of God. Hunter, can you break that down for a little bit? So basically, we're going to get into... First, we're going to start the podcast off. We're going to talk about Karl Marx, who was, he was a philosopher, German philosopher... Founder of Marxism, Communism, Socialism, all that. You can attribute that to Marx. Um, and uh, we're going to talk about the idea of a utopia, which is what Marx and, and many of the communists have. And, and that's something that still is, permeates the culture today, of this idea that um, there is a perfect world that we can re- create if we just implement the right policies and that we uh, put the right things into place governmentally, the sort of top-down view. And then we're going to get into the, uh, the kingdom of God which is completely opposed to any other system, which is bottom-up, starts in the heart, starts in the individual, goes on to the family, goes on to impact the church, goes on to impact the civil government, and then that impacts the economy. So we're going to get into how the opposing views of, of Marxism and the basically the views of the devil um, are... Oh, hot take. Hot take? No pun intended. <laughs> oh, ho. But anyway, we're going to... So For you gonna, audio listeners, I just whipped, and then I'm... Nay-nay? And so I, I think it's, it's a good thing to talk about because Marxism is all in, in our institutions, it's in our ideas that even we as Christians believe in, in the way we, we view rich people, with the way we view all different kinds of classes. It, the idea of Marxism is that it separates people into classes. Alright, let's start this off real quick. Hunter, who was Karl Marx and why should I care? Alright, well Karl Marx, 1818... He, uh, he grew up in a, in a re- relatively Christian home, 
Although it was said that his father only converted to Christianity to continue his career as a lawyer, which is a very interesting idea, and I wonder if that affected his uh, true belief of Christianity. Um, this Christianity, though, that, that his father had, it seemed to have been planted in, in Marx's heart, and he wrote an essay titled "The Union of the Faithful with Christ." That he said that the union with Christ means a most intimate and vital companionship with Him, keeping Him before our eyes and in our hearts, and being permeated by the highest love, so we can turn our hearts towards our brothers, united with us through Him, and for whom He had sacrificed Himself. Hey, from that, based Karl Marx, right there. I mean, that's what happened. Why he's logically like, accurate, everything. Yeah, that, that makes no sense to me. Why is he like all up for Jesus? I don't. That was when he was seventeen. Um, in the, then a year later, when he's 18, he writes, um, I wish to avenge myself of the one who rules above. Which is, that's, you go from, union with Christ is the thing that we need, to I am going to avenge myself against with, the... With, that's not even desi- d- denying the existence of God. It's saying that he exists, but... I'm going to destroy him, or whatever, or yeah. I'm going to break free from him. Which is, which is wild. There's some rumors that Marx was involved with the Satanist church, and he got into that, and that's part of why he changed, but there's not too much historically as to why he changed, but I think it is... It that's is, just conjecture, though, right? It's just conjecture. Okay. We don't know that okay. for a fact, but it is an interesting point, because something obviously had to have happened for him to switch that drastically and radically. Um, so after, after that switch... He pretty much tried to avenge himself against God his whole life. I mean, he he uh, was a God religion hater. He calls religion the opium of the people, which is basically just saying that that um, opium is is almost like a pill. The Christianity is almost like a pill that people take just to make life life easier. Yeah, just to give them something to help explain. Yeah, the confused the the suffering and death of the world. Yeah, not only that is that it's used by governments to keep the people. Um, kind of tranquilized and not fighting back, which is yeah. obviously not true historically. Um, but anyway, he ran out, went on to write the Communist Manifesto, which everyone's probably heard of, and his philosophy, simply Marxism, went on to empower and inspire dictators and new governments. And um, again, like this, his legacy, his legacy, which we'll, we'll get into what he actually believed, it is deeply rooted in our institutions, and in our our beliefs, and in our general understanding of the world, which is something as Christians we have to understand, and we have to know, and we have to recognize when we're dealing with Marxism, because if we don't know it, we don't know how to tackle it. Man, what... Let's let's step away from Karl Marx for a moment. What kind of thing could happen to a a 17-year-old boy that in just one year could completely change not only his his uh, opinions on religion, but direct vitriol against the God you once worshipped, served, and, and yeah. worshipped, and and quote you know said you, that you loved. What what could happen to a child? I mean, you say he yeah. got involved in. There's a potential. Potentially involved in Satanism. Yeah, involved in Satanism. But that's let's step away from that. Step back from that because we. I think we both know there. This is pretty common. People who they we think they're Christians and then they either grow up and or uh, something drastic happens to them, a trauma of a loss of a loved one, and 
and then they, they blame God. It's not necessarily like, oh, I'm just, maybe they'll say they're an atheist, but they only do that to cover their hatred for God. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah. So what happens? Because obviously it's not Satanism with everybody. So what yeah. happens in a person's life? I think a big thing is, is um, people in authority mistreating them, I think is a huge thing because God ultimately is the highest level of authority. So if someone who has authority over you, say a parent, a teacher, um, whoever does, government official, government official yeah. does something that's so heinous and so awful to you, you you see that and you see God God as a person and you, you direct that hatred at him because you think somehow he allowed this to happen to you and it's it's partially his fault. And I think that, that that's a big thing. And you see Marx's his whole belief was that um, it's other people's fault. It's, it's everything is fault. other people's fault. <laughs> that's, basically, that's funny. So um, I think I, I've that, heard I've heard it I've heard the utopia the Marxist utopia described as almost like the fantasy of a 12-year-old child where they just want everything to be perfect and they want no no issues because they felt hurt. They got bullied at school and they just want everything to be nice and everybody to be nice to each other. It's kind of true. And you you don't want to take any responsibility for your actions. You just want to do whatever you want to do, get away with absolutely everything. And you want the ability to blame your problems and your circumstances and your inherent sin nature on other people. But the Marxists don't believe in a sin nature. They believe that all bad things come... Well, Marx believes specifically, probably jumping ahead a little bit, but specifically that all evil was rooted in capitalism, in the free market institution. Yeah. And it wasn't... It couldn't have been him. Couldn't have been... It was, no. it was the rich people that were enslaving everybody, making the, making the poor people all wage slaves. So as a 17-year-old, you could see... I don't know, maybe... Who knows? Maybe... Maybe he worked a crappy summer job, and he was just like, dude, I'm getting, I mean, the equivalent, I'm getting $15 an hour. Back then, that's probably a fortune, but 15 bucks an hour, and I'm, I'm working my butt off for nothing. 15 bucks, minimum wage. And he just took it and ran with it? Took it and ran with it. He was yeah. like, I'm a wage slave. I don't know. Anyway. That's, that's conjecture. That's totally. conjecture, but it's it not is based interesting in because I mean, but it's just I like to make words. But I mean, he's Marxist. Figure things out. Marx is a, a type of many of the the way people view things today. Like a, a type, he's he represents a voice of a fair number of people who feel that they are wage slaves and feel that they are, and there's some truth to that, and who feel that they're victimized and feel that they're oppressed, and he is sort of a voice for them. I think that's why it's so appealing to. Such a large number of people. You know what that reminds me of? Richmond, north of Richmond. I've been selling my soul, working all day. Yeah. Overtime hours for BS pay. Yeah. It's and like, think, it's, yeah. it's that same, it starts, and, and I think in a way, you conservatives and uh, more people on the left, they start from the same place. If, if, you're, if they're intellectually honest, they start from the place of, something's wrong, I don't like the way things are. I'm hurting. I want things to change. But the difference is where you look for the solution. Mm -hmm. That's that's where conservatives and the left go drastically different directions. Right. And so you could see like, you know, Oliver Anthony, he he's not a he's not necessarily a Republican. He just is a populist and he hates what's going on. He just yeah. hates what's going on in this country and it's how it's affected him. But you could see, but that could have easily been Carl. I mean, he's got the beard. <laughs> that could have easily been Marx. I mean, yeah. I'm not comparing them. I, I honestly love Oliver Anthony. I've seen him read the Bible on like the Joe Rogan podcast and the Jordan Peterson podcast. Um, so great man from all things I can um, see. But 
but it's interesting the similarities in their not in the people but in their um, in their motives yeah. in their motives in their worldviews. It's like there's something wrong with the world. Not it's not just Oliver Anthony. I'm not, I don't mean to be picking on him or anything, but it's the gen- he represents the common folk, the yeah. the everyday man, the working man, the blue collar man, and like there's there's a hunger for something more. Mm-hmm. And right now, this minimum wage job just isn't giving it to me. Yeah, I think that that's a good point to acknowledge. Again, like we said this in our previous podcast, but. We should see things from, like, we should give some charity in history and give, even to people like Marx, who his ideology has led to the death of millions, but even giving charity to him and, and seeing, trying to see where he's coming from. So when someone else today comes up and says, but I am a wage slave, we can act more accurately and, and more humanly respond to them instead of yeah. just attacking ideology. Because if we understand Karl Marx's upbringing and that we can identify people in our lives who have a similar upbringing or have similar outlooks on the world and hopefully know how to articulate an argument, a Christian slash free market argument in a way that convinces the individual that, hey, you're the problem, not the system around you. Like, hey, take responsibility for yourself. And you can get out of it, yeah. And you you have the ability to get out of the muck and the mire. So that that precisely is why I think it's really important to study a man like Marx and why it's important to care about a person like Karl Marx. Yeah. Yeah, so now let's we can get into the meat and potatoes of kind of what he really believes and we can get into it. So much of what Marxism is is summed up in the idea of the bourgeoisie and the proletariat. And those are two big words. Um, but basically, this is what Marx said about it. He said, The history of all existing society is the history of class struggles. Freeman and slave, patrician and plebeian, lord and serf, guildmaster and journeyman, in a word, oppressor and oppressed, stood in a constant opposition to one another, carried on an uninterrupted, now hidden, now open fight. A fight that each time ended, either in a revolutionary reconstitution of society at large, or in the common ruin of the contending classes. Okay, so you've got you've got the the rich man and the poor man, and you would you could say this is almost it seems to be coming out of uh, I don't know of a, a zero sum fallacy mm-hmm. where you think that if if the free man if the patrician if the lord the guildmaster whatever if they're succeeding it means Someone else that they are wrong. taking advantage of the slave the plebeian the serf etc. So that that is the worldview that he's mm-hmm. that he's seen. Am I am I reading that? No, correctly? that's correct. You know, it's also it's separating people into groups of it's of classes. Like you're in partially that is true. I mean, there's there's the middle class, there's higher classes, there's classes of people. But what it is is is, is saying that inherently the certain classes are at war with each other. As he says, it's a uninterrupted hidden. Now it's open. He's saying that he he's people are starting to wake up and realize. But what it comes down to is, is a struggle between classes, a struggle, you're the bad guy, you're rich, you have money, I'm poor, you've wronged me, we gotta fight. That's kind of the attitude towards it. Okay. And that's where, again, we'll get into all kinds of different issues of, of the culture and how that plays out. Um, do you have anything else that you want? I mean, it's so, I think, well, I don't know if we can put it more, more simply or try to draw an analogy from it, but... Well, I mean, at the end there, something, I, something else I pull out of this, he mentions... He mentions revolution, which is a huge part of Marxism inherently. Mm-hmm. Can you talk about the roles revolutions have to play in Marxism? The roles that well, the, their goal is that 
by any means necessary, tear down the institution that is oppressing you. So, so in that process of tearing down, it is in self, itself a revolution. Right. Okay. Yeah. So Whether that be a literal revolution, a cultural revolution. Yeah. Okay. But, but their goal is they, they're saying basically, we can't play the slow, the long game. We have to take down these institutions originally, and we can get into what happened later. But originally it was, we're being wronged. We need to take action against our oppressor and tear down the institutions that they've upheld. And that's kind of the idea. And actually, when the, the year that the Communist Manifesto was written, there was... I want to get the statistic right. There were 17 revolutions in 1848 around Europe where the Communist Manifesto was written. Big coincidence, probably. Um, but no, he he was, again, like he was a voice of, of a people that, that were, were hurt. Yeah, obviously, he had a lot of influence. 17. Yeah, 17 revolutions. But one thing to note is that Every single one of them failed. Hmm. No success whatsoever. They were shut right down by the by the uh, armies of, of those countries. And um, I think it's it's interesting to see right there in, in its own in its own example that um, he didn't really achieve what he wanted yeah. immediately, um, which is where we get into um, other ideas. But well, he would probably see that as hey, it's okay, guys. We're not evolved enough as a species. <laughs> to accurately understand or have the ability to overthrow our oppressors because mm-hmm. that is another thing of the Marxist worldview it is is the view of is the view that we we are constantly evolving we are constantly getting better mm-hmm. uh, I mean he and Darwin were friends I believe right yeah and or, Dar- I don't know if they're friends but Marx looked up to Darwin okay all right yeah. and oh didn't he like credit all of his work to Darwin yes so literally Darwin had the theory of evolution that everything is evolving and everything, it, and then Marx took that and said, not only physically are things evolving, but morally, mm-hmm. things are evolving to be better, and mm-hmm. then eventually it will get to an ultimate good, a utopia where everything is perfect mm-hmm. and all shack and the shackles of capitalism are thrown off, and we get to live in harmony mm-hmm. in a communist utopia. Yeah. That's their eschatology. That's their end times theology. Because mm. I, I look at Marxism like a cult. Like, what is their... They, they have a gospel. They yeah. they, they have a, a counterfeit gospel. They have a counterfeit understanding of, of repentance and inherent sin. Um, they they have a counterfeit understanding of eschatologies. It's yeah. all counterfeit, which lets you kind of know it's it's demonic. Yeah. Because um, the devil doesn't create anything. He just perverts the truth. But, man, I mean, the, the idea of revolution is... The idea of... of I don't know, throwing off oneself is kind of a, a twisting of the Christian life in a way. I mean, the, it's, it's, a, it's a twisting and also a reworking in that as a Christian, you realize you are the problem and the world is also the problem, but you, 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 all you can fix is yourself. Mm-hmm. And it's the Holy Spirit that fixes you and will sanctify you. And enables you to do that. And enables you to... Yeah, and the idea of Marxism, they don't believe that the human heart is inherently sinful. They basically believe, in practice, that some human hearts are inherently sinful. The, the, the oppressor is the one who is has a sinful yes. heart. Well, the oppressors yeah. are the ones, in their twisting of original sin, the oppressors are the ones with the original sin. It's the original sin mm-hmm. of having money. That is their unforgivable sin Mm -hmm. but the but the twisting is that in marxism there's no grace there's no grace in christianity there's grace for everyone no matter even the king even the oppressor yes even the oppressor but even if they are actually by definition an oppressor of their people um whether they take advantage of their employees or of their their, 
mm-hmm. uh, they're plebeians or whatever you want to call it. Um, but with Marxism, there's no grace at all. Yeah. Like if you're, if you're rich, down. Yeah. If, if you're rich, um, I mean nowadays, like if you're white, if if you're a Christian, well they say you know what they say now, eat the rich. That's AOC has a shirt literally eat the rich with blood on it. No, it's tax the rich. Tax the rich? I swear it's eat the rich. No, nah, no, nah, it's tax the rich. Are you sure? Well, they she does say eat, they say eat the rich. That's, That's insane. Yeah, I'm yeah. sorry if I misrepresented AOC. Well, yeah, but I don't think she's mad. I'm sure she'd be like, no, nah, I agree. <laughs> Anyway, but yeah, so I mean that that's good, and it's interesting to understand because, in another, in a, a simple way to view it too, is one of the things that the big things that, that Marx ended up getting into when he took his his views to the logical extreme is that the child is the oppressed, and the the mother mother and father are the oppressor. Hmm. So it pits a child against its father and mother, and inherently where this this comes from is the Garden of Eden. This is basically where it all the devil's not. Like Wait, so said, Marx came up with this? That the, Karl the, Marx talked about this. About the... Um, How parents being the oppressors, children being the oppressed? Yes. Interesting. Yeah. Well, that's why they believe one of their biggest first things was that uh, like children shouldn't be working at all. Maybe that's they why he, he neglected all of his children. He just wanted to let them be free. Yeah. <laughs> that certainly panned out well. We'll talk about that. <laughs> um, but uh, where is it going? Yeah. So the original temptation of, of Eve is, surely God hasn't said questioning authority that's the immediate the immediate first little snip snippet of a lie that the enemy put into man was that god is somehow lying to you and wronging you and because god is in a position of authority me the little serpent i'm the one telling you the truth and i think that that's where marxism rests on that idea that devilish idea of that all authority is bad which is not true um if we're if you're a like you're going to be in the way the world works is Again, that they ignore original sin. Jesus said, he who sins is a slave to sin. And the Bible talks about, Paul talks about in Romans, that when we, we give our lives to Christ, we become slaves to righteousness. So something is going to be at the top of your list that you value the most. So that thing is going to have the most authority over you. Hmm. If I love, like, I would say in my earlier life, like before I found Christ, baseball was like my life. Everything I did, oh, I can't do that. I've got baseball practice. I can't do that. I've got to go hit the gym. And I think that that's what we, we do. And that's what the, the enemy likes to put anything he can above God in that order and that tier of things that are important to us. And that's what the Marx did. He basically said that um, um, he basically almost elevates the victim to that highest thing. Like we should be standing up for the victim in every scenario, which is a half truth. Yeah. And um, anyway, I went on a little ramble. Tangent well, how is that a half truth? Can you, can you, because the truth is that there are victims and there are um, oppressors. That is true in reality. But also, it makes it seem like that nothing the victim do in response to that oppressor is wrong. So it, 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 it almost like the ends justify the means yes, in a way. Exactly, because that's why they want to say we just need to tear everything down. And just, then it'll be yeah. okay. Yes. And then there will be no more. more yeah. But again, it's the lie of of the devil, like. If you oh, if you eat the apple, you won't you won't surely die. And it's like, if you take down the government, you won't surely be left with anarchy, which is what happened in every single one of these countries. That anarchy, thus resulting in a dictatorship. Right. Someone rises to power. Yeah. Because people don't like anarchy. They want to be told what to do. They want it. They want structure. Yeah. Which is which is not bad to not want an anarchy. It's actually good to desire, to not want an anarchy. Because we all God created us with an innate ability that we should have some respect towards authority where community 
self-centered creatures. Like we're not we're not meant to be just on our own going ham on everything. <laughs> so, um, but we, I mean that that's a good word. we kind of we could go down a bunch of rabbit holes with that. But I want to get into more of of what this Marxist utopia looks like, and I just want to get into a utopia is basically. I'm pretty sure the root of it basically means a perfect world. This idea that there can be a perfect world. And this came from a, um, an essay written by Sir Thomas More, who was, uh, I think he might have been a Catholic, or claimed to be a Catholic. And um, it's basically this, he sets up his idea of, of a perfect world, that if, if everything was, was right, then, then this is what a perfect world would look like. And if we look at what the Bible says, there is no utopia until... Christ returns yeah. and, and institutes his government mm -hmm. and there's a new heaven and a new earth and all of that. Um, so, again, that's where Marxism is built upon a, a false utopia that if we just get enough policies, if we get enough people to believe what we believe, that we can have this utopia. But that's just not true. And you see this with communist dictators like Stalin and Fidel Castro and people who believed in Marxist ideology. They were literally dictators, yet they believed that institutions were basically bad. Hmm. So you can see that right there. It play out. So they saw they had a they had a savior complex about them. Exactly. They saw themselves as a, like, okay, I'm like the last person. Like I, I just have to do this because like I've been chosen to By whoever to, by yeah. whoever they believe in or nothing. I've been chosen by put chosen by nothingness to uh to throw off our oppressors. Uh if if you're in uh what was it, Lenin? Mm -hmm. uh, Vladimir Lenin? Yeah. Didn't he lead the Bolshevik Revolution? Pretty sure. And yeah. then he took power, and then it just became another dictatorship. Yeah, became the Soviet Union, and then Stalin and the Gulags. Yeah. So wasn't much better. Yeah, because <laughs> human nature is sinful. Yeah, big surprise. Yeah, but they um, almost they had they took it upon themselves like we're going to be the last one who has to do this. Yeah, because after us everything's going to be perfect. But that's yeah. the lie. And it's interesting too when you see an idea because some people will, some people will say this is. Oh, but communist in theory, I mean, that's kind of, that's good, right? I've heard people say that, like, oh, yeah, we're all in a community and we all support each other and there's no poverty. But even if you look at the very communist manifesto, it ain't no utopia. It ain't no perfect world. Yeah. And I think that anything that man creates is not going to be a perfect world. So we can get into the, um, it's basically like the ten goals or ten pillars of communism. And uh, we can get into, we'll talk about each one of them a little bit. The first one is an abolition of property um, basically, an abolition of private property. Mm -hmm. It's land becomes publicly owned, owned by the state. In land and application of all rents of land to public purposes. Okay. Yeah, it's basically saying land become doesn't go to the person who owns the land. It, it is owned by the state. Okay. And thus, the state, because through the Marxist world, I'm trying to, you know, it's it's really difficult, but I'm trying to put myself into into the seat of. Karl Marx, who has the Marxist worldview, mm -hmm. I'm trying to look through this. Okay, if everybody is n if everybody is inherently good, and and the only system that and the systems that cause evil is capitalism. So we need to get rid of capitalism and have everything in the hands of the government because the government is not capitalism. So it's going to be good. Yeah, and the government will be able to properly just uh, take uh, rightly and distribute evenly and properly and equitably yeah. to those who need it and everything will be great because everybody will have a house and yeah. no one will be homeless and because the government is looking out for your interests. Right. That's the worldview. And it's the idea against the bourgeoisie 
who is yeah. saying, oh, look at the landlord. This is what we see this now. People hate landlords and assume that they're all bad because, oh, look at them. They they're have taking five. money. They're yeah. from that single mom who's just trying to make ends meet, charging her $3,000 a month in rent. Like Yeah, so you have that idea is that the um, the bourgeoisie are, are improperly using the land in that it, it can't be placed in their hands. Yeah, they're not to be trusted with it. Yeah. Um, and another one is the second one is a heavy progressive or graduated income tax, which is we see that that's one thing very that's clearly very common now. Today. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and even this idea, like if you look at America, the income tax wasn't a thing until the night the early 1900s. We went almost 200 years, not 200 years. We went 150 years basically without a, a federal income tax, and there was roads. People, how do you build the roads? There, there's other ways. Because it's the idea that is so opposed, and it goes into the idea of, um, again, to the first point, too. We can go by this point by point. Um, as Christians, we believe, we don't, we actually, almost, we agree with Marx in a way, we don't own the land. Even if you're private property, we don't own the land. God owns the land, and we have a responsibility to use the land in, in, a, in a godly way. We yeah. have that responsibility. Um, so in the, in the same way as um, you have the right to your, your time. God like to tax income to tax um, my time trading with you is is something inherently there's something wrong about it yeah there's something wrong because that you're basically taxing what belongs to God through theft through theft that is theft yeah. yeah through a Christian worldview that is theft right but if you're through a Marxist worldview like okay the government needs more since the government is an inherently good institution it needs to take and take slowly. And you know, not violent because we don't we don't want violence. We just we were going to take from uh, the the inherently evil rich man through mm-hmm. income tax until yeah. he's so poor he can't do anything. And because once the government has all the money, then it'll be good. Right. So that's that's the Marxist worldview. Yeah. It's really I, I encourage you all as as you go through this. It's really easy if you are a uh, a, a Christian who has been educated properly in understanding Marxism and understanding what went wrong in the twentieth century and understanding how the death of God fueled the death of millions. Um, it's really easy to to look at these things and just be like, that's insane. How could anybody ever believe that? And almost get like this pompous uh, attitude about these these stupid people. How did they ever fall for this? But yet you live in, if you are in America, you live in a semi-Marxist culture. Economically, we're getting there. It's not as It's not the Communist Manifesto level. But culturally speaking, we definitely are, which we'll get into later. Mm-hmm. But I encourage you, try to put the glasses, try to see through the worldview of Karl Marx, through of the people in your life who uh, adopt his ideology, who call themselves socialists, who are social, social justice warriors, who are pretty woke. Like, it all starts through a Marxist oppressor and oppressed worldview. And just try to put the glasses on and look at the world, look at the problems of the world, and through, you can understand their yeah. worldview because yeah, you can understand it because no matter what side of the aisle you're on, we can all agree that something is wrong and the world is broken. Like yeah. we can all agree on that. It's just how do you address? Solve. How do you solve it? And then where do you go for that solution? Yeah. That's where we just go in opposite directions. Yeah, yeah, and it's interesting. Um, the the idea again of a even of, of a property tax too. Um, was so alien to the American people up until the early 1900s. Like, it was so... It didn't make... Tax, tax the land. The land belongs to God. That doesn't even make make sense, which is interesting to see uh, how it's the slow play 
of cultural Marxism that, hmm. that led to that. That's really um, interesting that yeah. the land belongs to God. I, I Obviously, that's true through yeah. a Christian worldview, but it's like, when you actually, excuse me, when you actually think about that, that's crazy. Yeah. Like, uh, we live in a day where if you don't pay, you can own your home. You cannot have a mortgage on your home, but if you don't pay your taxes, it can be taken from you. Yeah. We don't have private property rights we in We don't have private property rights in America. That's, that's crazy. We're in a feudal system, yeah. That's crazy. So are we essentially serfs? Yeah. Like... That's crazy because you can't be a citizen and not actually own your land. That doesn't that doesn't work. Yeah, but another one that is is these are related is um, abolition of rights of inheritance. So they they want he, Marx wanted to restrict the ability for if I'm your father, Sam, and I want to give you my house that I built, my land that I paid for, you can't do that. There's no rights of inheritance. The state decides who. Um, when someone dies, the state decides where those their resources go. Because they need to. So the the worldview says they need to. Okay, well, this is an opportunity. This this old rich guy just died. He left a lot of money in a really nice house. Well, we could we the government, the perfect government. We don't trust that kid because then he's going to use that to make more money, and that's just evil because it's yeah. capitalist and free market stuff. He's going to rent out the house, and he's going to become one of those sleazy landlords, and he's going to invest the money in a Roth IRA. Can't have that. We can't have that. We can't have we can't have. Uh, we can have uh, wealth growing. That's that's insane. So we'll we'll take that. This is a good opportunity to take it. Yeah, and also taking that a step further, what this is is it's an attack on the family, mm. because God instituted families. Families are a good thing. Generate generational wealth biblically is a good thing. All throughout the Old Testament, all throughout the Bible, all throughout American history, you had parents giving their kids land, giving their kids houses, giving their kids resources to build their life with, and that's how. Like generational wealth, that's how families went from from poor to prosperous because their families worked together, and that's an attack on if you're like, try. What's the point of even building your wealth if your wealth if if your wealth won't go to your kids? Like yeah. it, it it de incentivizes, yeah, that whole thing. I mean, there's a verse in Proverbs that says a righteous man leaves an inheritance to his fourth and fifth generation. Yeah, I believe that's the I believe yeah because in its Marxism and inherit it, it doesn't like these institutions. And it's a, it's a, they say that the, the family is bad and oppressive. And so it makes sense as to why that they would not want rights of inheritance. But it's interesting that I don't, that's one thing I think we, we met, I didn't even know this as Christians that how much God talks about inheritance. If you think about it, it's, it's amazing. I mean, our faith is an inheritance. Somebody believes something in our family. Yeah. Generally, that's how, that's the biggest way Christianity has spread is through families. Yeah. So, in the that's kingdom awesome. of God, it's an inheritance. Family. Like yeah. we've been adopt, adopted in. Yeah. We, Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Yet we have been adopted into the family. Yeah. It's and something Jesus that is basically saying, "Hey, yeah, I'll share my. He's giving it to us. I'll share my inheritance with you so much so that I'll die for you, so that you can have my inheritance, the kingdom yeah. of God. That's crazy. That is praise God though. Yeah. <laughs> that's crazy. Just yeah. a side note, but I actually looked up so surf. Um, S-E-R-F is... I looked up surf, S-U-R-F, and it was like, the foam is on the side of the ocean. When it comes splashed up, like, uh, not what I'm looking for. So surf, S-E-R-F. A servant or laborer of olden times who was treated as part of the land, worked on, and went along with the land if it was sold. Okay, so that's... that's um, uh, <laughs> That was the kid's definition. <laughs> this is what we not need. Bad. A member of a... Sur- uh, so... Surf. Uh, this is the <clears throat> this is the adult's definition. A member of a servile feudal servile 
feudal class bound to the land and subject to the will of its owner. I couldn't even read that. Maybe I do need to consider But that is subject to the will of its owner. That That's how it is. Our yeah. government. Yeah. We, are, we have to pay. We are subject to the government. And if we aren't subject to the government, if we don't pay our taxes, I'm not saying we shouldn't pay taxes. We live in the system, you know, pay to Caesar what is Caesar's. But ideally, we shouldn't have to do that. We are serfs right yeah. now. We live in this. It's, it's sad. Yeah. Like, I... I so badly want the ability to be a citizen. Yeah. Like an actual citizen. Yeah. Like, how cool would that be? Is if I... It's a dream of mine to to buy a house with cash. That's that's a dream. It would be so cool, after all that hard work, to buy a house with cash and know that I'd never have to pay taxes on this. Yeah. And it's always going to be mine. No yeah. one's ever going to come and take it. It's the work that I did. It's the work that I did. It is the fruit of my labor. Yeah. It is the reward yeah, and it, I think it's it's kind it's, of a it's taking sad. it's taking away of the principle they're trying to undermine reaping what you sow. Yeah, because if you reap good things, you get good things. If you reap hard work, you see the fruits of your labor. God didn't intend for us to work for nothing. Yeah, we work to see the the fruit of it. And uh, I think it's interesting how it's so twisted. And uh, another thing that um, I think we'll skip past number four, but uh, it's pretty much the same thing in terms of rights of of. Uh, oh no, this is important. What am I saying? Number four is confiscation of property of all, all immigrants and rebels. It's basically saying if anyone disagrees with the communist ideology... Yeah, that's important. Yeah, that's probably important. Um, if anyone dis- He's a plant. He tried to skip it. <laughs> Controlled opposition. Hunter Young. I just want to give you the half-truth. Um, so basically, if you're trying to leave this communist utopia and you're trying to take something with you, no, you can't do it. Yeah, so confiscation of property of all immigrants and rebels. Yeah, so if you're... take it away. Yeah, if you're disagreeing, and that's this is the idea of... It's so interesting how Marx at the same time was so against these institutions, but didn't have a problem when it was a civil government doing it. It's so, it's so interesting, and I think that's why you... If we were talking about the two kingdoms, the kingdom of God and the kingdom of, of Satan, is Satan likes top-down mm. control. He he says that it's freeing to you to to be under the um to be away from the the grips of this evil god, but in reality God wants you to be prosperous. God wants prosperity gospel. No, um, God wants you to do what He's called you to do, and He does. He's His authority is out of a place of of love, and as in a place of of protection. But the the dictatorship of communism that that is created through communism is so rigid and so orderly and so um it's so dark and it's so void of of uh individuality it's so void of what makes you a human it's basically they want it makes you a robot it makes you you go along with everything we believe and it's it's a brainwashing and i think that that it's interesting is people he'll say marx will say religion is the opium of the people yet you see his solution is just a worse version of opium (laughs) basically your opium is a human is the government. I'd rather have Christ be my opium than Amen. Than Karl Marx be my opium. So, anyway, another T-shirt. Yeah, I want that Christ opium. I want that Christ opium. <laughs> we're literally hippies. We're just, <laughs> we're just hippies reincarnated. I don't feel good about this. Sometimes I feel like, honestly, with like the war in Ukraine, I'm like, oh, hippie. I, I you know, peace, not war, man. Yeah. He's not war, man. Yeah, but but to be serious about about that point, it's like, um, sorry, serious. Yeah, <clears throat> let's be serious. Let's, let's be mad let's about be serious. this. Let's be mad about this. Um, but it is like you can't get past the fact that 
something is going to have authority. Whether it's even anar- in anarchy, you're just, whatever the group is doing, whatever the strongest group is doing, you're submitted to them. Yeah. So I'd rather have the worldview, and the true worldview, by the way, that God limits what men can do because God is sovereign over the universe. Not everything is kind of wishy-washy and we need to maintain order because if the people are in order, then we're going to lose our beliefs and we're going to lose everything. And I, I just just praise God that we have the Bible and we have his principles to look to so that we can, we can combat this. Yeah. Um, but uh, you're going to love this one, Sam. Number five, centralization of credit in the hands of the state by a means of a national bank with a state capital and an exclusive monopoly. Am I reading that they had debt back then? <laughs> they did have debt back then. <laughs> um, but basically, I mean, you're, you're controlling... One of the ways we, we do have a, a culture of debt, unfortunately, and we've had, had a culture of debt for a while, um, but this is making it impossible for... Um, like a national bank, a top-down national bank, they control the money supply. They want, they want the, uh, the state to be in control of the money supply... Meaning, if you're not... Didn't Alexander Hamilton advocate for a national bank? Alexander Hamilton, Marxist before Marx? <gasps> Sorry, no. continue. I told you you were about just... to make a great point, and I cut you off, because... Continue. I'm gonna you didn't have to cut me off. <laughs> Copyright. <laughs> <laughs> um, but basically, it's to say that if you don't go along with, with our ideology, we're not going to tell you this, but we'll restrict your ability to spend money. Which is literally what we're seeing now. In like China or whatever. No, You can- literally have Canada. a so- social credit score. Well, look at Canada. Look at what they did to the truckers. Remember the truckers in Canada? They froze oh, yeah. their bank accounts. People who were supporting the truckers with money, they froze their bank accounts. Man. And, th- and that's what the idea is of, if you have cash, if you have gold, if you have something of value, which money inherently is supposed to be valuable, then the government can't do anything about it. But if the means of, of producing that thing of value, i.e. paper money then the government is able to control that. Or even now you're seeing a push for a digital currency, which is very scary, um, is the idea that they want to be able to have absolute monopoly on your ability to spend money where you spend it. Because if you're spending it in the wrong places, they want to be able to control that. And that's really, Marxism says, and again, going back to the two kingdoms, I'm going to say all this whole thing, but um, when you, like, it's all about control. The enemy wants to control your life. The enemy, God wants to give you liberty. The enemy wants to give you control in the name of freedom. Again, you, you love the quote, liberty is the, what is the quote? Uh, liberty is not the freedom to do what you want, but the freedom yeah. to do what you ought. Yeah, so in the name of, of the devil saying, oh, I'm freeing you, I'm freeing you from the bourgeoisie, from the corrupt people, what you're putting in place is so much worse. Yeah. And uh, the bourgeoisie probably loves it, actually. Because they're able to just control you even easier. The people, yeah. there's always there's a type of people that have um, a desire for, and a hunger for power and to have control of their, over other people. And I think that Marxism just enables them to do that even better than any other worldview. Yeah, I mean, a revolution, uh, inciting people to a revolution makes them frenzied, angry, emotional. And when you become angry, you become stupid. Yeah. And when you're stupid, you're easy to control. Yeah, amen. And that's exactly what and that's the bourgeoisie, what you see. Yeah, that's <laughs> the what they oligarchs, want. Yeah. that's what they want. Yeah, They want you to be easy to control, and they want you to be submissive and passive, and they want the men to be feminine and lay down their arms to the government. And um, if, if you're we're talking today, they just want to stay on the couch, watch porn, eat Cheetos, play video games all day. Yeah, and entertain let, you to death. And entertain you to death. 
Yeah. Yeah. It's it's ridiculous. Yeah, and then so going on, this is this is rough going through the seeing. I mean, you could I can see it moving in my head, and I ho- I think the audience will be able to see it too. The, the things that these things are all things that are being pushed today in in some form of, of government. And um, number six, a centralization of the means of communication and transportation through the state. So again, state controlled communication. That means telephone lines, state controlled. Hmm. Railroads, cars, state controlled. Ooh, how is that playing out today? No gas cars. You got to go electric by 2030. You see that same thing. And again, it, go, it goes back to the point of if you can control the means of communication, if you can control people's ability to transport and meet up with each other, then you stifle that. that what opposing was that thing by 2030? Where did you hear that? Well, I mean, California had a. They wanted to ban. They they couldn't. Didn't. So is that federally or state? No, that's that, California. Just California. Yeah. Okay, so California, it, it's a law. I don't know if they passed it, but they wanted to ban okay. gas cars, the sale of gas cars by 2030. Okay. Wow. And That's again, it, because if, if the grid goes down or something yeah. were like that were to happen and we're all relying on electric cars, we're not going <laughs> to be able to get up and, and meet. Yeah. I'm going to put my tinfoil hat on. Um, but anyway, it's, um, it's this whole idea of like we can't have any opposing view. Under Marxism, there's no room for opposing view because what we believe is right, we're... We're striving, it's this, this frenzy, like you said, towards the utopia, because they, they think that they found the utopia, and if anyone who's against it is a threat to that, is a threat to the perfect world, and they have to be, they have to be limited mm. to the best of our ability, and that's what, like, imagine if we couldn't, if we didn't have, if we weren't able to speak on the internet. Yeah. And that's what they're trying to do now. They censored people on Twitter. But we'll get into that. We're going to get into more of this. Yeah. Elon Musk bought Twitter, made it X. Yeah. And now... I mean, Charlie Kirk said this. I agree with him. It was the most consequential uh, American. It was the most consequential purchase in American history since the Louisiana Purchase. Wow, that's that's bold. Like it's it was it was the largest. It's the largest um, purchase of purchase of anything. Anything, right? yeah. Right. It was, it was like fifty not, something billion dollars. Probably not of anything, but it was it was the most consequential yeah. to the uh, preservation of America as a nation. Um, and that was done by someone. That's what he said. It was the most important purchase yeah. in American history. And that was done by someone who Marxists would consider a part of the ruling class. Yeah, part I mean, of the he, he's the Tesla guy, the yeah. electric car guy. Yeah, what happened? I know. He, he was. He's, he was their. He was the glitch in their matrix. They thought <laughs> they had him. Yeah, they thought they had him. But that's the thing is is that that's what's also false about Marxism. 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 Is that there is redeeming qualities about people who are otherwise very sinful. There is good things that they can contribute to humanity. When you alienate people, when you alienate rich people, rich people, it takes a mind to be rich. It takes, even if it's an evil, cunning thing to get to a certain level of wealth, you have to, you don't have to exploit people. You can, like, we have to learn, be able to learn, and we have to be able to acknowledge that these people exist because of the sinful nature of, of humans. And there's something to learn from people like Elon Musk. There's something to learn from people like Jeff Bezos. There's something to learn from people like George Soros, yeah. who do evil things. But we can't just act like throw it, uh, overthrowing them is going to solve everything. Because again, another one of them is just going to be propped right back up. Yeah, because they're not the problem. Right. Who's the problem? Me and you. Well, I was going to say demons, but <laughs> demons. There you go. But the sinful nature yes. of man. Yes. yes. And demons take advantage of the sinful nature of man. Yes. By enticing us. To our own and and I'm, what I'm noticing is there's a, a common thread running through all of these things within the 
uh, communist manifesto, which is pretty obvious, which is we take away from the private sector and empower a centralized government. That is the that is the common thread that is running through the communist manifesto. Yeah, which is pretty obvious, but I think it's important to point out. Yeah, and uh, the seventh one is again, it's we're gonna go into this, but extensions of factories, production, basically instruments of production owned by the state in accordance with the common plan. And again, this is all towards the utopia idea. And it's basically saying all means of production should be owned by the state because the bourgeoisie can't can't own them because they're just going to exploit people. Yeah. Um, if we have the state own it, then, you know, people can generally be good and they can work for the common good, yeah. the common plan. Government good, business bad. Yeah. That's, 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 yeah. It's so childish. It is. Like, it's so childish. It's just like, no, I don't want it this way. So, uh, yeah. I don't know. Anyways, and it, there actually is one of the interesting things is, this is getting into number eight. It says uh, an equal liability of all to work, and it's in parentheses, for the state. We have we do have an idea of, of communism today is that like the person sitting off welfare. But actually under under Marx, he believed that everyone should work towards the common goal. And everyone not working towards that common goal is in an dead weight. Yeah, is dead weight. Hmm. Um, so it, they would basically mandate you to work if you weren't working for the right thing. That That's actually the most interesting one so far. Yeah. That kind of is coming out of left field. Yeah, you, you could, that shows you he was really dedicated to the idea of that utopia. He's like, come on, he, he's like rallying the troops. He's like, come on, guys, let's not be lazy. Like, we're trying to fight for this utopia. Like, come on, we can keep working, keep going, keep striving. Uh, man, we need we need more tax. Money. But it, but it's interesting because like again, Marxism isn't new. I think that's something we have to acknowledge. It's something. It's the lie that the devil told from almost the dawn of time, and. This is just, Marx is just an example of someone who took it to almost its logical extreme. And, because most people, the average person who even calls himself a Marxist doesn't even know the ins and outs and doesn't even understand how extreme Marx was and what a world that his utopia actually looks like, which is why we're trying to break that down. Yeah. And um, another, the tenth one is, a gradual abolition of distinctions between towns, counties, and countries. So basically, one world government. Basically, there's no distinction between between towns and, and localities and, and states. And I think this is so interesting. I don't know if you have any initial reactions to that. Well, did you get number nine there? Agriculture, manufacturing industries? Yeah. Well, yeah, that's the same thing as, as number seven, basically. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah. So, okay, break that down a little bit, because these are confusing. So, okay, so number seven was extensions of factories and instruments of production owned by the state. So all means of production is owned by the state, all businesses, all equipment, all buildings basically owned by the state. Yeah. And number nine is combination of agriculture with manufacturing industries, gradual abolition of distinction between uh, the town and... And counties, so down the counties and countries. And counties and countries, okay. Yeah. So it's breaking everything down that is currently in all these their different parts and their different categories and it's different just trying factions, to make, yeah. different factions trying to bring them all into one kind of big pile. Yeah. Okay. All right. That's that that helps me understand that. Okay. Yeah. So uh, we we're talking about number nine, which is and it's interesting that it's basically no borders. It's number nine. Oh, okay. No borders. Yeah. No borders. Which is we're definitely between countries or at all. Okay. Period. One world government. Yeah. Huh. So a utopia is a one-world government. Yes. The Marxist utopia is one-world government. Yeah. Interesting. Definitely not playing out today in any way, shape, or form. Oh, nope, not at all. Uh, but number 10 is, an interesting one, is, is free education for all children in public schools in the abolition of child factory labor. 
sounds great, right? Sounds free education and everything. But the, the point of this is that it's under the same premise of we need to control the people. So we can control the systems of education. If the state, the education can't be left to the parents. No, because they're going to teach their kids that Christianity, that opium. And they're going to they're gonna want to fight back against Marxism. We can't have that. Definitely not. And I think you, you see this play out today. Wicked super bad, as a Bostonian would say. Yeah. Yeah. Wicked super bad. Wicked. I mean, I mean, come on. Come on. <laughs> Marxism, Marx. What are you talking about? What are you talking about? I'm going to go park the car at the garage. Park the car in Harvard Yard. <laughs> what anyway. Happened? What happened? Um, but I think that... Hunter, you good? You good, Hunter? Apparently that's something that all Bostonians say, you good. You good can mean like a thousand different things, and you just know. You good? Depending on the context, you good you, can mean so many different things. You good? You good. Hey, you good? You good? Are you good? <laughs> Are you good with me? <laughs> you want to go right now? I will go right now. Sorry. Anyway. We're back. So we okay, see how... free education. Yes. That's crazy. We see how this can but, be a yeah, problem. Yeah, it's literally It's literally a thing schools. in every single country. right now. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that this is another... It's a breakdown of the family, because the family is supposed to be... We talked about this in another podcast. The family is supposed to be the number one means of education of the children. And um, so now going through that, that was kind of tough to get through, um, because it's Marxism. But uh, we're going to talk about now some things that it really plays out in our culture today. So where do we even begin, Sam? Well, I think it's important to distinguish, uh, not distinguish, but to, before we get into today, realize that before the Communist Manifesto, the Industrial Revolution was occurring. Mm -hmm. And Marx looked at the Industrial Revolution and he saw those people that were getting exploited by their business, by the owners, by mm -hmm. their employers. And he was like, and he saw this as an injustice, which if they're actually getting exploited, of course that was, but he, he basically uh, extrapolated that out to being uh, every single business owner was the, was the problem. Mm -hmm. And that fueled his, I don't know, his anger for... His angst, yeah. Yeah, his anger and angst for the, uh, for the bourgeois, what he called the bourgeoisie. Yeah. So, and we see that play out today in uh, identity politics where minority groups have been wronged in the past or some are being wronged in certain ways. So that's, so then we, we now, not only do we make the entire oppressor group, not just the people who are hurting those mm -hmm. people in the minority groups, whether this, this be race or literally anything, culturally speaking, <laughs> it's everyone in the oppressor group is awful, and everyone in the oppressed group is good. Is good right? inherently. Like there are two distinctions: classes. There, we're separating people into classes, and we're giving them uh, things to fight over. Yeah. So that that is one the biggest way mm -hmm. that it plays. Well, out. you can see this in the the people who support Hamas, and the people who support Palestine. They view Israel as the oppressor, yep. and they view Hamas as the oppressed. So anything Hamas does, including raping and mutilating babies. Is okay because they're the oppressed, they're the proletariat. Yep. Yep. So I think that's so. They'll either yeah. deny it or excuse it. Right, yeah. deny it or excuse it. Um, I think another interesting thing is to go view this from a outside lens of what. Okay, so let's. We talked about the ten pillars basically of, of communism. So, what does that that world looks like? Just to go back, that world looks like 
the state owns everything. The state owns the means to education. The state owns the means of the production. The state owns the individual because you have to work for the state. The state owns the family because the family doesn't control education. The family doesn't isn't able to uh, give their kids an inheritance. The state owns the church because you can't have um, rebels yep. in, in in a communist society. Yeah. You can't have you can't have private property. They're not going to be. They're just going to destroy the churches. Mm-hmm. And you can't have um, you can't have an economy that is ran by people. It has to be run by the state. So you have a, a full scope of a, of a state, a one world government where the state owns everything and everyone's happy. And we see this. There's a quote. I think it's from the World Economic Forum for some people who want a new world government. It's they say by 2030 you will own nothing and be happy. Yeah. Which is interesting. That's what that the, used to be on their website. They took yeah. it down because there's backlash. Yeah, that used to be on their website. But that's they what they want. Nothing and be happy. That's yeah. what they want, I and mean, that's what we're we're moving towards. That slowly, it's the slow burn. But Gen Z, we're changing that because we see Heck it. Yeah, we're changing it. We're changing it. Christ is changing that. Boom. We don't. We're not going to have that. We are going to own our land, and we're going to give our land to our kids, and our kids are going to have ten kids. We're going to have twenty kids. Come on, 20. we're going to yeah. amateur. <laughs> Anyway, but yeah, so I think that that's as at a global scale, at a, at a huge top lens scale, you can see that that's Marxism at, at its core. Is um, the people can't own anything, and, and actually, there's um, have you heard of this guy Noah Harari? No, I haven't. He's um, one of the, the biggest thinkers of the, a humanist secularist thinker, and he basically said, and this is an interesting point, going to the um, the idea of things that can't be accepted in the communist worldview of, of the idea of owning nothing and being happy, is he says that, basically, to paraphrase, we have to persecute Christians, because throughout history, Christians have been the ones to stand up against oppressed governments, because they believe that there is a God of the universe who rules over all of the princes and all of the, the kings and, and the queens. And they have that, that passion they have that ability. They have that higher moral standard. They have an absolute truth. They to have the look ability to. to appeal to something higher than the state. Exactly, as, and, the, and he basically said, "We can't have that. We yeah. can't have Christianity. We need to cause doubt in Christians in any way that we can." And we're here to say, Noah Harari, and people like you, and people who want one world order, we will not comply. We will not, we will not comply. Yeah. And um, that's one of the things is, is we, need to, we need to understand this and we need to understand what they truly want. No, they don't have our best interests in mind. The people who want total control, as Richmond North of Richmond would say, they just want total control. They don't have our best interests in mind and we need to acknowledge that and stop being so nice and stop being so naive to believe that Satan doesn't have power in this world. He says he's the, the power of the principality the prince of the power of the air. Yes. Yeah. So, but we can acknowledge that and we can say, and we can look at Christ's kingdom and say, as Christians, we're called to be kingdom builders in a face, in the face of persecution, in the face of a, of a dark and, and sinful world, we're called to be salt and light. And despite what they want, despite the fact that they don't want private property, we can say, look at the Bible, look at the truth of God's word. Look at America, look at the most prosperous nation in history. I'm getting fired. Look at the most prosperous nation in history and look what they were able to do by having private property. True private property and and true economic freedom and true fiscal responsibility, all the things that we talk about with Turning Point USA. And we can look to that and we can appeal to history and appeal to God and say, God's way is the best way. There will never be a utopia. That's one of the things that we have Mm -hmm. to acknowledge. 
is that humans strive for, for a perfect world. But our worldview, that's one of the testimonies that it's the most true, is Christ never promises a utopia even in our own hearts. Yeah. Even as Christians, we are never promised that we will become perfect and without sin. Yeah. So if the individual can't become perfect, then the world can't become perfect. But that's the correct worldview. Yes. See, if you see everything through a Christian worldview, you realize, hey, I'm a sinner inherently by my own decision, by my own bad decisions. I can do nothing to save myself. Right. And there is only a God in heaven who can save me through his Holy Spirit and sanctify me. Yeah. And Ephesians says that, uh, I will be pre- that you know, you are saved by faith through grace, not of works, so no man can boast. Amen. You are the gift of God. You are a gift of God. Um, oh, what's, what's the verse? Oh, you are gift, basically perfected. To, you, are being, you are going to be perfected. To the uh, day you, of Christ. you are Christ's workmanship. Yeah. Um, and you will be cr- perfected at the day of creation. Yeah. So if you, you are not perfect now, even if you have the Holy Spirit, but you're being sanctified. And when Christ returns, when you, go, when you enter heaven, that's when you will be perfect. That's the utopia. But this isn't a utopia where it's top-down control. Mm-hmm. Heaven is not going to be top-down controlled. The, the the revelation talks about how how we're gonna rule mm-hmm. and how well because our sin nature will be shed off and we'll do it out of the love and out of the desire of our heart yeah. which is to worship God. So in fact, yeah. the real utopia isn't a communist society. Mm-hmm. It's a society where we build yeah. and we use our our creed our, our, the gifts that God has given us to build and create yeah. and, and things we can't even imagine. But I mean, revelation and prophecy has given given us a taste of what that would be like. Yeah. But it's not where we just all, you know, uh, I mean, obviously we're living, yeah. we're going to live in perfect harmony uh, with each other and with Christ. But, but there's it's not that like individuality, but there's yes, that creativity. Have, yes, yeah. that's what I'm trying to say. Yeah. yeah, but that's one of the things, Marxism doesn't allow for creativity because it sees creativity as a threat to the common goal. That's a great way to put it. So, yeah. man. Um, but and this is one of the things that, this is where we're going to get into your element a little bit. Um. These people, these globalists, they're not stupid. The devil is not stupid. He knows that he can't just get a top-down law passed saying there shall be one world government. He's doing this, and this is where we're going to get into the issues of today, is he's doing it in the small, subtle ways. The ways that slowly, step by step, that's what Marx originally was very much, we have to have revolution, we have to have, but slowly those those later who came along and realized that that didn't work, I don't know, who was the guy that was the, the big, you were, we were looking him up earlier, about um the Frankfurt School. Yes. Yeah. So basically, like you were saying, there there was a man and uh, Rudy Duchki, uh, I believe that's how you pronounce his name. In 1967, he described the strategy of how the left and cultural Marxism and Marxism was going to infiltrate America and take it over. And he mm-hmm. called it the famous slogan, "The Long March Through the Institutions." So you, it started in the early 1900s. You've got people... It started so early that the man who wrote the Pledge of Allegiance was a Marxist. Did you know that? No. The man who... I can't remember his name. But the man who wrote the Pledge of Allegiance was a Marxist. He added... And the under God statement was added by Eisenhower after World War II. Wow. Yeah. It used to just... Worship the flag, basically. Worship the flag, yes. They wanted to take worship away from God... To the state. And to the state. So that was step one. That was step one. That was step one of Long March to the Institutions. Because like you said, it can't be... Revolutions don't work. They they, They they, fail. They fail. 
So we have to take it very slowly. So what what can we do? Well, we ignite people's patriotism. We get people really fired up about serving serving America because uh, we because we love America and America is great and it brings us freedom. So, but let's just leave God out of it. Let's just leave God out of it, God out of it. And what's interesting is that the Democratic Convention a couple years ago, that when they did the Pledge of Allegiance, they took out the under God statement. Wow. They are reverting back and they're saying the quiet part out loud. They're they are they are exposing their Marxist origins, which we've known all along. Yeah. But anyways, I mean, that's just an interesting side note. But that was step one. You got that man. Um, would you look him up? I want to. Uh, I'll keep talking. But What's if you look up, I don't remember. But who who wrote the Pledge of Allegiance? Um, so you've got him who basically uh, who. who he took people's allegiance away from God into the state. That was step one. And then it started by uh, Francis Bell. <laughs> listen to this guy. Sorry, listen to this guy's description. Francis Julius Bellamy was an American Christian socialist Baptist minister. <laughs> <laughs> oh, brother. He was socialist. Yeah. yeah. And the worst part was he called himself a Christian. Yeah. So he was a wolf in sheep's clothing. Yeah. So, and then you've got, so that was step one. And then give it about 20 or so years, that that was slowly being inculcated into Christian society. Allegiance to the state, allegiance to the state, forgetting about God, allegiance to the state. You've got the prohibition, uh, which is, which was a, in itself, a little bit of a revolution mm-hmm. with which people, with people trying to, um, there was a top down thing and the people reacted but it was really a bad, and he was like, oh, I want freedom to get drunk, you know, so yeah. not, not great. Um, so that that allegiance to the state caused some not great things to occur. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you've got intellectuals after World War II. This is where it really starts to ramp up. This is where it gets and starts getting into the colleges. And once it gets into the colleges, into academia, it's gone. This is where the long march to the institutions, this is where it's settled in for a while. And uh, so you've got people like Herbert Marcuse. Uh, he he started in the Frankfurt School of Germany, Frankfurt School of Critical Theory in Germany, and they he was he was the head of the Frankfurt School in the 30s and the, during the rise of Hitler. And then after World War, World War II, he fled as a refugee to America, became an American citizen, and started uh, being a, and, and was a professor at Columbia University, and he he was a professor at Harvard a little bit, I believe. Mm. And uh, and basically, his worldview, he wrote in a book called One Dimensional Man, which came out in the mid-50s, when he was already in America. And he observed, he was a Marxist, and he observed that, uh, that the system in America, the capitalist system, it was working. He observed, hey, middle cra- the middle class is, is thriving right now. I mean, uh, everybody, you know, there was the baby boom of the 50s. The economy was... Like the, we took a more of an isolationist uh, position as a country at that mm. point, and the, so we focused on our economy, and everything just went crazy. So much industry, the GDP went crazy. Yet, um, uh, so because of that, excuse, excuse me, because of that, the middle class was thriving. Herbert Marcuse saw that he was like, okay, obviously our Marxist ideas are not going to fly here. The middle class is thriving; they don't need us. So what do we do? And he wrote this in One Dimensional Man. What do we do? We apply the idea of oppressor and oppressed to social issues. Mm. And, you, and, I, and I mentioned he was a part of the Frankfurt School of Critical Theory. We've all heard of the term critical theory, critical race theory. That's mm. the buzz term. That's the buzzword nowadays, the buzz phrase, you could say. And the critical theory is, is looking, the idea of 
critical theory is that you look at common fundamental institutions of society and of nature and of, and of natural law and you begin to break them down into mm-hmm. dust and you try to ask questions, you, you, change you try to deconstruct them, you try to straw man certain institutions, certain people's worldviews until it's just nothing mm-hmm. because when, because you have to destroy everything in order to build something new and that's, so you do that and we, we almost feel like we live in a, in a time of demolition where everything's mm-hmm. just being destroyed, everything's being canceled, everything is being uh, looked on. All the th- things we thought were normal are now being destroyed because they're racist or sexist or homophobic or transphobic. Mm-hmm. This is simply critical theory in action. Right. But it started with the Frankfurt School of Critical Theory. I'm not going to say totally, but predominantly. Uh, it started with Frankfurt School of Critical Theory. Herbert Marcuse, one-dimensional man, he, he began teaching this in academia. And when you get it into the colleges, it spreads through. It goes to the corporate boardroom. It goes to Congress. It goes to uh, state houses all around the country. It goes to uh, kids who are being taught by teachers who learn from these colleges. So now it's being taught to kindergartners, high schoolers. And all of these Marxist ideas are slowly being inculcated and under the surface being um, accepted Mm-hmm. and rationalized and normalized in American society. Mm-hmm. And you've got the rise of patriot. Remember, it's still allegiance to the state. We're, we're not to the point where we hate the country. We still love the, we still love the country. The Marxists will still say, you know, most of the people, the wolf in sheep's clothing, they, they, they still have to say that you we, know, want, we, America we, we want America to, su- to succeed. But it's not the same America. But it's not. The, but it's not yeah. the America that you and I, Hunter and I, want to succeed. Yeah. Well, it's you went different. through all that, but it's just a conspiracy theory. <laughs> well, yeah, I looked it up literally today. Did you just did you say that already? Wikipedia says it's a it's a uh, oh man, what did they say? They said um, the term cultural Marxism refers to a far right anti Semitic conspiracy theory that misrepresents the Frankfurt School as being responsible for modern progressive movements, identity politics, and political correctness. The conspiracy theory, uh, excuse me. The, uh, the conspiracy theory posits that there is an ongoing and intentional academic and intellectual effort to subvert Western society via a planned culture war that undermines the Christian values of traditionalist conservatism and seeks to replace them with culturally liberal values. Yes! That's what it is. Why did I just explain all that? I should have just read the Wikipedia page and be like, and yes, how is it? What they said. What are we That's saying? true. What do the Jews have to do with it? Like, I don't how know. is that anti Semitic? I don't know. <laughs> well, I guess because, like, we're trying something about, I don't know, something about um, Frankfurt <laughs> School, Germany, Holocaust. I'm sure they could tie it in. Yeah. But uh, it's oh interesting. My but God. even just looking at it practically, um, one of the things we have to acknowledge when we talk about this and we look at the slow march through the institution. Um, these are only things that, that God has allowed. Nothing that man does is happens unless God somehow allows it. And I think that he's, he's allowed it, and we're, we're coming to a time where it's coming to the light. People are waking up. You see parents going in school board meetings and, and saying, what is this? And um, yes. that's the thing. I think God's putting a stop to it because we, we were ignorant for so long, and I think God's waking up a bunch of people, and that's why we have this podcast, yeah. is because... Um, the darkness can only go on for so long. The darkness eventually ends up collapsing in on yourself. And that's, like, why, that's why I think you have so much discord in these cities. I'll just bang through a, a, few, of, a few of them right now. Marxist ideas. Defund the police is a Marxist idea. The police are the oppressors. They're, they're killing black people at disproportionate rates. The prison system. They're oppressing. It's just another form of slavery. And you have both of these coupled together. What do you get when you 
defund the police and you stop putting people in jail. You get cities like Chicago. You get cities like St. Louis that have gangs running the streets because you don't... You view the people running the gangs as the oppressed because you're, there, there's been some injustice done by the police. So you have this, this whole system, and, and that is Marxist. That idea is completely Marxist, and you can't... You can't there's no way you can isolate that from Marxism. Mm-hmm. Um, so you see that, that, that that's one thing, again, like the police thing... And how, how do you solve that? You solve that by, look at God's justice. Look at, God says the punishment should fit the crime. If someone does, does the crime, they should do the time. They should go in jail. And we have a strong police system. But I think that's one of the ways that the critical theory, the white man is the oppressor, has, has taken down the trust in these institutions. And you see, you see these cities that the police basically can't do anything because the DAs don't throw them in jail. So I think that's that's one way just to rattle off an example of, of how Marxism for sure. has played out. I mean, there's a book called Battle for the American Mind, which I highly recommend. It's an incredible book. I listened through it, um, and it's by Pete Hegseth, a, a Fox News contributor. He's a Christian conservative, and he partnered with a, a, a man who uh, runs a classical a national uh, classical education mm-hmm. curriculum, and he writ, writes curriculum there. There are, like, school groups all around America, and... Uh, I don't remember his name, though, for the life of me. But, man, read this book. I mean, if you want to understand what I what we're talking about even more, Battle for the American Mind, not a sponsor, but, man, I would love it if they would. Because <laughs> yeah. I love this book so much. I mean, and, and one of the things that, that the book... The book starts off by basically explaining the fruits of the long march to the institutions. Mm-hmm. Like you're saying, you're giving some examples. Well, more we culturally could go all day, speaking, yeah. you go all day about, you know, how... How the uh, how this has turned into uh, you you've got you, this has turned the idea of oppressor and oppressed has turned to uh, race sex sexuality marriage um, uh, the church every everything is viewed mm-hmm. through an oppressor and oppressed lens now it's the Israel Hamas issue like mm-hmm. you you already you already gave that example um, but you know you uh, straight people uh, are oppressed gay people. Um, uh, I don't know, but transphobic people attra- oppress trans people. White people oppress white, black people. White people oppress, yeah. oppress black people. And that was the that was the one thing that Herbert Marcuse realized was that, oh, well, you know what is pretty hot right now in, in the 50s? The race issue. Yeah, There's a lot we can of, use that. We can use that. Okay, we're going to make white people the oppressors, black people the oppressed. We're going to divide them. And then, you, all of a sudden, why is it that the very, that the very party that enslaved them is now the party that has ninety over ninety percent of their vote. Yeah, it's sad. And this is the the Democratic This is the party, answer the that we have the, to have. The Marxist party. Yeah, we have yeah. to have the answer as conservatives. We have to say, like, and even I, I think it's great what like black conservatives are doing. Um, like, uh, what's he's like? Is that guy Brandon Tatum? Is that his name? Brandon Tatum. Yeah, yeah. he's awesome. Like yeah, guys like great. that saying, no, what you've been told is a lie. Black people aren't weak. Black people are able to solve the, their own problems. We have so many white people who have a white savior complex and say that we need to go in there and white people need to put their money into the cities and white people need to, to govern their cities. Yeah, for sure. White guilt is almost like their equivalent of of um, of their original sin. Yeah. It's like white or, or what they do when they have white guilt, that's just your shame of your inherent sins of being white. Yeah. That's your original skin is being white. Your yeah. original sin is being yeah. having skin. Your original skin. Your, <laughs> your original sin is being white. Right. But it, what you do to atone for that 
it's almost like works to get to yeah. heaven. That yeah. it's the equivalent is by, you know, sending money to these inner cities. Yeah. And and basically saying, I, I'm sorry, you know, I have white privilege. Apologizing yeah. for your white guilt. That's that's yeah. just another example. Example. But yeah, but I think what the, this whole thing, but we'll take it out, go back further. We can talk about individual issues all day. Is that what the en- the enemy's goal? Satan has a has a long game, has a long game goal, and we're just people. We're just we. There's things that are, are bigger than us that, that we can't see. But anything that is is specifically invented to sow discord among people is not of God. And that's what Marxism is at its core is there should be, it's, they basically said in their, in their opening statement that, um, this, uh, this disagreement, this, this, uh, um, idea was once, this war was once hidden, but now it's good. It's coming, it's coming to fruition and it's good. There should be discord and there should be people fighting back. And the thing is, is that we can have, God brings unity. What God brings, what God's kingdom brings is unity, and the devil hates that. The devil hates for people to be unified on an issue, in spite, we can talk about our sin issues and our things we do to each other all day long. But the thing that God does, in an almost, um, oh, God almost makes us ignorant to the sins of our people because we're united to one great cause, and it just so happens to be the true cause the creator of the universe, and that is such a threat to, to, the, to Satan's kingdom and Satan's goal that he has to uphold these ideas like, like Marxism, and he hates for Christian values. And you see this, you don't see attacks on Hindu values, you don't see attacks on um, a pagan values, you don't see attacks on any of these other videos, I mean videos, values, you see attacks on Judeo-Christian values. And I think that's a testament to the truth of it. And that, that this does come from the enemy and that Satan, what the Bible says about Satan, is in fact true. So we have to acknowledge this. We look at Marxism and we say, Marxism, to be summed up, is, is Marxism is of Satan's kingdom. Yeah. Straight up. Yeah. And we have to, as conservatives, we have to have an answer to that. And we say, Christ's kingdom. What is Christ's utopia? Utopia, because there's no utopia. What does Christ's kingdom look like? What does it look like if we implemented Christ's kingdom um, principles here on, here on earth. It would look like economic prosperity. It would look like union among the people. It would look like a strong, thriving church. It would look like a strong community. It would look like private property. It would look like a strong family. It would look like a strong government. It would look like peace. Yeah. And I think that we have to say that, and obviously we fall short of that ideal because we're sinful, but this, these other ideas of utopias aren't even utopias. The goal that they're striving for is a perversion of the true goal of Christ. And I think that that's we look at all these issues, and it's a perversion of what is good and what is just and what is holy and what is of God. And that's why you see him attack, that's why you see Marx attack the family, which is God's first government that he ever instituted. Mm-hmm. You see the attack on, on marriage. You see the attack on, on children. And you see the, the um, all these things are meant to be an F you to God, basically. Yeah. And say, God, everything you instituted that's good and holy and just, let's take it out. Yeah. And it's not a, a coincidence that the Christian religion is, is the one who believes in all these things that they want to take out. Hmm. <laughs> and breathe. <laughs> <laughs> 
That but, was, yeah, that, that's comprehensive. Yeah, that's but I, comprehensive. I think the, the hope of the gospel is that Marxism is not, there is the, the, the prince of the power of the air, but there's also King Jesus. Jesus is the king of kings, the lord of lords. Nothing that rulers, nothing that principalities, nothing that powers do, God doesn't turn a blind, blind eye to any of that. He's watching, and he's pre- preparing a different great reset. God's preparing a different re- revolution, and that is Christ's kingdom rising up in the people through the change of the individual's hearts, through the change of heart. God changed my heart. God changed your heart. God is changing hearts all throughout the world. And that's how God's going to bring true cultural change. It's not going to be by revolution and tearing down all the, all the evil institutions. It's going to be upholding institutions that are good and godly and just. And through Christian self-government and through the, the restriction of our sinful nature by the Holy Spirit, that's how we see true lasting change, not by tearing down institutions that are good, like Mark says. So That was awesome. Honestly, Marxism is like my favorite thing to talk about. It's, it, it is so rooted in our culture. Yeah. And it needs to be discussed more. It needs to be understood more. Our church needs to be equipped with this knowledge. Mm-hmm. I hope if, you know, out there, if you're a pastor out there watching, please share this with people in your church who you who might think, uh, who you might think, man, it might be good if they hear this. Or if you yourself are a, a pastor and you're hearing this, mm-hmm. uh, Understand this affects your flock. Yeah, this affects the church. You're, if you're a pastor, you're a part of the the bourgeoisie. You're a part of the oppressor. Yeah, they're coming after you. Yeah, and if you haven't seen that, well, I mean, just look to Canada. There's already being there's already pastors being arrested mm-hmm. for not shutting down their church or taking the vaccine or like whatever. I don't know what they're doing yeah. out there now, but it's it's crazy. So, I mean, but praise yeah. God that looking at the Marxist utopia, it defeats itself evil falls in on itself yeah. the the proverb says that a man that an evil man digs a pit and then falls into it um, that's a, i don't think that's the exact quote no ba- but that's basically the concept yeah and, and it's so interesting praise god that there is an ideal not praise god that marxism exists but praise god that it's by his truth it's so easy to pinpoint the lies. roots yeah. the lies that if we really look at it and we can see where only through those lens the lens of christ though. right because you know it's in, to a lot of people, it's not easy to recognize. No, that's but true. Through the, but, through yeah. a, but through a Holy Spirit lens. It yeah, is. but praise God that we have a way. We have a standard to look to. Yeah, the Holy that is God's standard. Yeah. And if there's anything that you think that we missed in the comments and anything that you think that should be noted, please write them down. We want to hear it. We believe yeah. that this is this is one of the key issues. This is like one of the, oh, yeah. the top ten facing our culture because it literally impacts every single area of life because you can find an oppressor in anything. Oh, for sure. Yeah. So, but I think to close, I mean, we know that God is not an oppressor. God is a good, holy, and just God. And he rules with a rod. And he rules with a just rod. And He's he is going to take down these corrupt in- institutions. But it's got to be his people that are there and ready when, when these things come down. And when these things come falling in apart on each other, that we are there to uphold the good on institutions like the family and godly civil government, that we are going to need to be prepared as Christians and ready to uphold that standard of God and be the answer to a culture that's dying for for an answer. And yeah. I think that they're looking to Marx and they're looking to all these other things, but we have the best answer to every cultural issue, and that is Christ's kingdom. So. Amen. 
Guys, thank you so much for tuning in today. Uh, we had, I mean, we had a blast going through this. We did. Um, I, I uh, honestly, it, this is crazy that we get to do this. Yeah. Um, I want to keep doing this for as long as we possibly can. Uh, I love this podcast. I love you, man. I love doing these. I love you too, brother. <laughs> I love doing these podcasts with you. And I really think they're beneficial, and I hope they're beneficial. Let us know if you, if you've, um, let us know in the comments if you, you know, if you disagree. If there's please anything we can leave constructive on. criticism. There yeah. has been way too much of stupid criticism and people just name calling. So yeah. cut it out. It's ridiculous. Uh, please leave it if you have. If you disagree, I would love it. We both would love it if you would uh, tell where tell us where you disagree and then give a, a reason why. And we would love to have a, a respectful exchange. Um, yeah, we want to do a, yeah. a, 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 a live podcast where we people phone in. That would be cool. Eventually. I mean, That's a benefit cool. of yeah. being smaller is that you can have interactions with people, like mm-hmm. individuals. I mean, and that's big, what we want, and that's how Christ is going to bring the change anyway, so, yeah. Yeah, awesome. All right, well, Praise guys, God. thank you, everyone, for tuning in. As always, I am Sam Mealy. I'm Hunter Young. And we are the Sons of Liberty. Liberty.